the Champions of Growth, a podcast of the Association of National Advertisers. I'm Matthew Schwartz. Our topic today, recruiting marketing talent for a post-digital age. The new school year is in full swing. The students back on campus are attending remotely. A new leaf with opportunities bloom despite all the disruptions to class caused by the pandemic. The new semester is also an opportunity for brands, organizations, and advertising agencies to spread their wings when it comes to recruiting and hiring entry-level employees for marketing communications. Amid rapidly changing demographics in the U.S. and the mainstreaming of diversity, equity, and inclusion, there's a growing responsibility on marketers to broaden their horizons in order to have the kind of workforce that will more accurately reflect what the country looks like now and will look like in the years ahead. What's more, companies have to appeal to the kind of talent that plays into the digital-first, content-driven world that now defines marketing strategy, videographers, animators, and of course, data analysts. And that's just a small sample. Here to discuss these changes and how brands can improve their recruiting and retention efforts are Gordon McLean, President and CEO of the A&A Educational Foundation, and Elliot Lum, Executive Vice President of Growth and Community at the A&A, who develops national programs that help college graduates and recent graduates consider and choose a marketing and advertising career. Thank you both for being here. Gordon, I'd like to start with you. What are marketers looking for in potential talent these days? What's changing? First of all, Matthew, uh, thanks for inviting us to this. We love to talk about our future talent. That's what the uh, ANA Educational Foundation is all about. And uh, what are marketers looking for? It's no longer just the four P's of marketing. That's just table stakes. We've done extensive series of research. We call it, uh, actually, it's the talent disconnect studies. And we've done it every year for the last really three years. And what we found is marketers are really looking for three things. The first is critical thinking, which is really what going to university is all about. But it's unique from the perspective now that that needs to be both qualitative and quantitative. With the importance of data and analytics, we really need future talent who can put those two things together to come to conclusions. So so that's number one. The second, not surprisingly, leadership potential. But that's also a unique type of leadership potential because it needs to be the kind that's both collaborative, that can work across all disciplines, but also really needs to be a little more risk tolerant because that's what we're actually looking for our future leaders. And then the third, which I think was a little more surprising, is actually the cultural EQ or the emotional uh, quotient. Really important right now, given it is so crucial to succeeding in the sort of the diverse multidisciplinary teams that these graduates are going to be asked to uh, to work on. So, so actually, these are the three criteria that we use to select our marketing and advertising education interns. We apply that to every single one of these interns. Uh, we have over 3,000 applicants. We get down to about 150. And I will tell you, this is a very, very impressive group of young future leaders. And uh, we have no worries about the future of talent. All we've got to do is uh, nurture them and keep them. Flip side of the question, Gord, how are students' expectations changing when it comes to assessing a career in marketing or advertising, whether the creative side or the sales side? Because let's face it, the uh, industry is the uh, subject of uh, a lot of skepticism in which these uh, prospects have been conditioned by. So what are your thoughts there? Actually, the tables have turned. We were just having a discussion with a group of CMOs, and one of them made the point that when it comes to entry-level talent, we are no longer interviewing them. They're interviewing us. Is that a fundamental change? 
Gordon? Uh, it is. It is. This is not just about looking for a secure, well-paying job that may have career potential. And that really leads me to the other thing that's fundamentally a, a change in our business in many respects. But by far the most important change in expectations is that students are looking for much more than just that secure, well-paying job. The way we've had it described by students is we are looking for meaningful work, work that makes a difference. And also, interesting enough, they are still interested in security. They're looking not just for jobs, but long-term careers. And so the mission and the purpose of the company they work for becomes critically important. And if you can't articulate your company's role and its contribution to society, then that's a non-starter. They're just going to move on to the next prospective employer. So, so I think, you know, we talk often in the ANA about the importance of being a force for growth and a force for good. For students, actually, the force for good is far more important. With that backdrop, how do marketers, companies work perhaps more hand in glove with academia, with uh, academic uh, institutions to support and increase the appeal working in the marketing industry for the long haul? That is actually, we're happy to see, one of the most important priorities of the ANA's Global Growth Council. It is all about uh, better connecting our industry with academia, and it's really at the heart of what the NA Educational Foundation's mission is. The unfortunate thing is, and the fact is, we actually don't work hand in glove with academia, but we need to. We need to do much, much better job of that. And part of that is it really becomes on us and our responsibility. The industry is changing so fast that professors just cannot be expected to stay current and to keep up. So the first and most important way that we can work better, whether it's hand in glove or at least to do our part, is really to get into the classroom, to bring that real world experience into class to professors and to students. That's why in the foundation, we have the campus speaker program. We send over 300 practitioners out onto campus every year. We have a visiting professor program where we bring professors in to immerse them in the world of modern marketing and advertising practice. Those things are very, very important. So are you looking to bolster those programs moving forward? Absolutely. We have, as I said, over 300 practitioners going out. We'd like to have a thousand, to be honest. And even so, we are making an impact, but we need to make a much broader impact. I think the second area, actually, that's really important is curricula. If we ask professors, how can the industry, and we do, in fact, here's a quote from a professor, <laughs> what is the way that the industry can actually help? What would be the way to provide the most value to you as an educator in the classroom? And they say, give us current real world case studies, not Harvard Business Review case studies, Great if yeah. you're in an MBA program. If you're an undergrad, you need real world, and it has to have two things. One is it needs to be a case in the most purest sense of the word that requires insight and strategy, but it also needs real world data sets. We are building a new generation of talent, and it needs to be that combination of both qualitative and quantitative thinking, and it's not easy. So that's one of the priorities of the ANA's Growth Council is uh, we're setting about, we've developed one uh, pilot case right now in concert with professors. We want to have 10 by the beginning of the school year in 2022. And they will be from actually members of the ANA's Growth Council, big marketers, but also innovative marketers. So anyway, that is important, but there's another piece to that. And that is to help to bring some of the training and tools that we have and that we use with marketers. Why don't we share those with professors and students? We've developed on-demand training, which we're now making available to profs and students. It's called the, it's a certificate, an NA certificate course. I'm excited also, we're developing a, a gender equality on-demand training 
training course with the CHER group, which we're developing with many of the academics from the AEF. So again, curriculum becomes very important, but it's a slow process. We can influence it, we can supplement it, but it needs to be, the, the academics own it. Okay, and to shift gears a little bit, Elliot, how is the groundswell for diversity, equity, and inclusion changing the recruitment dynamic? I think one of the things that Gordon and I talk about a lot is how diversity and inclusion at the heart of the ANA Educational Foundation is not on the sidelines, but at the center. And what that essentially means is that we don't create specific DNI and equity programs that are geared towards a particular group. We try to, again, integrate it into everything we do. So the programs that Gord mentioned, like campus speakers, 50% of the campus speakers are diverse. Or with our MADE program, 60% of the applicants are diverse. With our visiting professor program, 50% of the professors who come through that are diverse. So that is a real core tenant for us because we, if you put it to the sideline, it, it often is treated as that. And mm -hmm. so I think with the racial reckoning of last year, I think it has been really accelerated the efforts. We wrote a study back in 2018 called the Diversity Disconnect, as Gord mentioned, and it signaled the progress that the industry and academia was making, but yet still talent felt those micro and certainly last year, we saw that play out in public. I think there's certainly a greater emphasis in recruiting diverse talent, specifically Black talent. The challenge, I think, has been we're undergoing another disconnect study that looks at different disconnects across different communities of color. So Black, Asian, Hispanic. And I think what we're discovering is that, yes, like there's a lot of investment in signaling being made. However, I think what we're also finding is that hearing some of the same tropes is where do we find this talent? How do we actually you know, develop this talent. And a lot of that, I think, is a function of this disconnect between recruiters and marketers. And recruiters aren't marketers. You really raise a good point in that. How do we go from, in terms of DEI, how do we go from the theoretical to the practical in this? I think it's, a lot of it is transparency and visibility and being able to understand collectively who is, how are we doing as an industry recruiting at the entry level, mid-level. And the ANA, as you know, publishes a report every single year that represents its board of directors, that represents its membership. The sample size, though, is small. And to have transparency around how that recruiting pipeline looks like, similar to what the technology industry does, so that we can make progress. And we are trying to publish certain kinds of studies, whether that be that scorecard. We have some inclusion research that we just published to make it more widespread so that the greater visibility can lead to greater action. This sort of plays into what we're talking about somewhat. Uh, the ANA Educational Foundation uh, released a study titled My Voice Matters, Linking Inclusion to Business Growth. What were this study's major takeaways for CMOs? Yeah, so where that study originated from, and I still remember this from a professor, his name is Douglas Davis at one of the CUNY schools that focus on technology. And we were talking about how we solve the diversity problem for the industry. And the one thing that he said to me was like, make sure you can answer the question, do I belong here? And so every voice matters. And the key takeaways of the study is not necessarily the eight highlights that we can go through. It's the methodology we use to approach it. So how do you measure inclusion when business decisions are being made? How do you measure equity 
when you're in a company and trying to figure out how to progress your career? How do you feel a sense of belonging in the industry? And so we do feel like when you look at the data, a lot of when you compare white non-Hispanic with ethnic minority, there's a lot of statistical differences in each of those different categories. And for us to get to real prescriptive solutions, we ultimately need a greater sample size and greater collaboration, like what I talked about in terms of transparency, which is why we're collaborating with groups like CHER, as Gord mentioned, AIM, the Alliance for Inclusive Multicultural Marketing, the Global Growth Council, and other trade bodies so that we can, again, find great data that ultimately leads us to collective industry action. Okay, but with more DNI, if I'm understanding you correctly, with uh, better representation throughout the industry, throughout companies, increasing the sample size, then that will, if you follow this to a logical conclusion, start to uh, permeate the rest of the company. However, incrementally, where again, it, it just becomes a natural part of the world rather than this sort of thing we have to talk about. It's no different than digital. It's like digital is at the heart of every single marketing effort. Diversity needs to be at the heart of every single talent decision. Okay. And uh, Gordon, do companies need to start reaching out to other colleges and universities, historically black colleges and universities, visual and design schools, film schools, journalism schools, when recruiting marketing prospects? What are some of the best practices to pivot? Uh, just to start with the simple answer to your question, it's yes. We have a rallying cry in the AEF and echoes around the ANA, and that is that a top talent comes from everywhere. And one of the things that we need to do as an industry is break out of the old patterns, going to the old, and I don't mean this pejoratively, the same old schools uh, that we routinely have gone to, and often the same alumni networks. We really need to think differently based on the challenges. And so, you know, first, obviously, we need to prioritize diverse schools and diverse students, but we need to cast the net wider. We need to do it geographically. We need to go to areas where if you're here in New York, you're very north. Northeastern focus, but we need to look at, well, right across the U.S. and, and to some degree, even, even the world. But we also have to think about it economically as well, because oftentimes those students who have been disadvantaged don't have the same visibility and don't have the same opportunity. And so, so those are things that we really need to advance. But I think to your other question, Matthew, we also need to reflect the reality of modern marketing. You know, a little while ago, we were talking to a CMO and he told us he had job descriptions for 40 different marketing functions in his department. You know, you don't come into a marketing department anymore and just become an assistant product manager. You have to come at it from every single angle in terms of what makes up the world of modern marketing and cutting edge marketing. So, you know, yes, we need to be in marketing schools. Yes, we need to be in communications and advertising schools. But, you know, we cannot lose sight of the fact that we have got to be in the humanities and social sciences. We also, critically important, we need to be in STEM. Given the critical importance of data and analytics and how we bake that right at the heart of everything that we do. So it's, it's a challenge. Okay, and with regard to STEM, which is science, technology, engineering, and mathematics, what which one doesn't necessarily equate, certainly traditionally with marketing, but when you think of, of how analytics has become more, what are the challenges to sort of bridge those opportunities 
you know, I can start out and Elliot, you could leap in if you like. But I think one of the first ones to tell you the truth is we need help in navigating the academic landscape. Uh, oftentimes, many of those programs are actually siloed. They're not in marketing faculties. They're not in communications faculties. They're not only down the hall, they're in another building. And for marketing to come in as a credible career alternative when those individuals are being courted by uh, the platforms, by technology companies, right. by uh, financial services, where we need within financial services and marketing, we need that. But the fact is uh, they are way ahead of us. So I think part of this is we have to kind of get past that institutional challenge that we have. And that means we can't just kind of keep on going to the same old places, the same old way. We got to start thinking about new ways to target new parts of academia for our industry. You can do your engineering and get into the hood, but ultimately, you know, this is a creative endeavor. This is about communicating and, and uh, you know, cultivating audiences. Is that perhaps part of the sell or am I being naive? That, that, that is part of the appeal, the criticality of data and analytics, how that then leads to the importance of creating insights, which then leads to the importance of then articulating that to your team so that you can actually create action campaigns that actually drive growth. And I think I think we have not done a good job of completing that story. We're, you know, oftentimes the story is we need more data jockeys. That's not what we need. We need fully formed data and analytics marketers who come out of STEM faculties. <laughs> okay. What kind of uh, a general response do you get from administrators at uh, colleges? Uh, do you feel as though they perhaps can do a little more in terms of uh, promoting a career in advertising and marketing? Are they neutral when it comes to these things or? in terms of uh, helping to grow the appeal? There's a couple of professors, right? Like that we have through our visiting professor program, I'm thinking of Dr. Mortimer, Julie Mortimer from Boston College is an economist. There's Lynn Papel, who's a, uh, also an econ at Tufts University. And all of them, they want to tell their students about marketing and advertising because they didn't realize like how data-driven it was. And they do a ton of projects from their particular academic lens. And so I think what people will find is if they dig under the hood a little, like how creative it can be, uh, this creative industry, that's that perception. You can also be creative in analytics as well. And with more people working from home, of course, and looking for work from home, Due to the pandemic, what are brands doing to boost their recruitment efforts remotely? I've been hearing mixed uh, reports that uh, some really like the Zoom, you know, but interview and other studies, reports, anecdotally, et cetera, where it's they're missing out you know, in terms of uh, missing out that opportunity to meet someone and pressing the flesh. I think one of the things that we learned, you know, from one of our member companies, Clorox, was, yes, like, you know, the technology is there to make these individual, have these individual discussions via interview, and it makes it more accessible, convenient, and it's hopefully great for the candidate as well, uh, just from a perspective of ease and convenience. What the real sort of question is, is like, how do you recruit in this environment in an innovative way when everybody else is doing the same thing? So when you see like a Clorox, for instance, collaborate with their employee resource groups to be able to target certain kinds of employees that they want to bring into their organization. So whether it be more Black employees or more Asian employees, they have built a really innovative recruiting system that incentivizes those groups who want to be business drivers. They want to be community centers for sure, but key business drivers that acquires great talent for their organization. And so 
they're using the same technology, but sort of taking it, the approach is, is different and more targeted. So you see a lot of companies trying to think out of the box in terms of how they're going about recruiting. Again, like taking this marketing driven approach to recruiting. I would add to that, Matthew, the, to what Elliot has said, the recruiting of entry-level talent virtually during COVID and I'm sure post-COVID uh, someday is not the challenge. Gen Z has lived this way forever. They are used to it. This is the way that we, they apply for the, our internship program. Uh, this is it. The bigger challenge actually has been even uh, retaining that entry-level talent. Uh, we've spoken to some companies who have hired individuals last March, April, May, or whatever. Those individuals Individuals are already gone and they've never even met them within 18 months. This is the challenge. So that word belonging is very important because it's very, very challenging, whether it's about diverse teams or just teams in general, creating that sense of belonging in this environment, particularly with this generation, because I have to tell you, they need jobs. Any student coming into this environment, and this is my plea to the industry as well, when you think about entry-level talent, last year was the absolute worst year. Internship programs were canceled, job opportunities disappeared. It looks like we're going to have another one of those this year. I think we need to be cognizant of that fact. So finding those individuals, top talent, and getting them, we're pretty confident we can get there. Keeping them is going to be another. <laughs> okay. In terms of retention, where you're telling me it's not even, say, uh, 12, 18 months. It's perhaps a lot sooner where they uh, vote with their feet. So I think, you know, on retention, it's often seen as like a, a drawing from the same pool of talent. And so what ends up happening is people ping pong and they get moved from one company to the next to the next without growing over the overall pie, which is why I think what Gord is leading at the AEF in terms of building this sort of pipeline with academia to create this really rich pool of talent that we welcome into the industry is, is such an important initiative. Gordon, to sort of backtrack on what you said a few moments ago and that we've discussed previously, is the sense of entitlement among some younger prospects an issue? We're talking about a generation who everybody got an award or a trophy for coming in fourth and fifth place, which is frankly unlike previous generations. So how do CMOs approach that kind of this generation when it comes to nurturing entry-level employees and really showing tangible ways of that sense of belonging that we've talked about throughout the last uh, 20 minutes or so? Well, you're not alone in that perception, uh, Matthew. Uh, that's certainly true. However, I think any Gen Zer out there that we speak to, a student, whether they're just employed or coming into the job, they would genuinely bristle at that word entitlement. And I think we have to put ourselves in their shoes. Think of these students, many of them, most of them coming out of university with the highest debt load of any student generation ever. So they got a lot on their back. Many of them have seen brothers and sisters who came out through a post-recession in 2008, 2009. Uh, they know that uh, prospects, economic prospects are probably more limited than they were. And then let's throw COVID on top of that. So this is a, a challenging time. So I think we're beyond entitlement and we're going to have to meet this graduating class on its own terms. And, you know, as frustrating, and I would agree sometimes as that may sometimes seem, but like I said before, they're interviewing us. 
And I guess to your point, so once we got them, how do we keep them? That becomes a challenge. It's always been the challenge. You know, we do see very high turnover rates, sort of two to three years is about uh, the time for, for changes. But if I were to say the solution in a word, and it's not that simple, is mentoring. Mentoring is so powerful. And we as an industry have so underutilized it. You know, we had the made internship program. I think we brought in 250 practitioners to mentor graduating students and some who had just graduated. And all of those mentors, first of all, they find it tremendously rewarding, but they also often think of it as reverse mentoring. I would bet you the majority of those practitioners learned more from their mentees than the students did from them. And do you think the industry sort of more across the board is giving reverse mentoring short shrift? I've always had a problem with this reverse mentoring or mentoring. It's all mentoring to me. You don't want to categorize it. I would not. I think once you have a relationship between a practitioner and a student, both benefit. And particularly those who are marketers or in agencies, what they do is they become much more culturally astute, much more aware, quite frankly, of where our next consumers are coming from. And probably it breaks some of those preconceptions about entitlement or things like that, because to be honest, these students have got bigger things on their minds these days. So anyway, that was my perspective. But And that is such a powerful tool to create that sense of belonging that we have talked about uh, over time. Okay. And some really uh, enlightening stuff here. You folks, uh, Elliot and Gordon, have certainly disabused me of some notions I have about younger generations, and I appreciate that. But anything salient I'm missing, I'd like to get from both of you to add and uh, recommend to marketers when it comes to recruiting and nurturing the next generation of uh, CMOs and marketers. Elliot, I'd like to start with you. Sure. So, I mean, my piece of advice sir, is that as CMOs or as marketing leaders, like you have very limited time. And so wherever you want to give back, whether whether it be giving back to your school, whether it be mentoring, as Gord mentioned, whether it be offering a slot in your summer programs for our maid interns, whether there's a lot of different ways to give back. And like, I think the ANA Educational Foundation accommodates all of that. We've certainly had questions, for instance, about how to become an adjunct professor. So we certainly try to coordinate those conversations with current faculty based on you know, where you'd like to teach. So we're here to be a resource to you wherever you want to lean in. Gordon? You know, I just leave you with two thoughts, Matthew. The industry is rising to the challenge. We don't mean to be uh, too hard on ourselves. It's really been very gratifying to watch. Uh, just last year, we introduced a program where we asked marketers and agencies to donate an ANA membership to a college or university. We've had close to 60 of those donated. And so what results from that is that professors and students have access to the same learning, the same tools as ANA member marketers. So when we talk about bringing real world practice and learning onto campus, there's nothing more powerful. So the industry is rallying. So that's the positive part. Then I'll leave you on the more sober note. And that's more on uh, Elliot's brief here and what we have been discussing. But it really, we have to think about how we can bring even more urgency to advancing diversity in our industry. We set goals. We measure things in the industry. Right now, many of the goals that the industry is putting out, I think of it, you know, it's, it's sort of a 40-60 equation. That's what we're trying to achieve. So think about this. On campus now, the equation is actually 
very close to 55-45. Caucasian, 45% diverse. We're looking at 40% diverse, 60% Caucasian. Mm -hmm. And within a very few years, it's going to be 50-50. Even when we catch up, the world is going to be ahead of us. So we got to put the pedal to the metal on this. And on that note, big thanks to our guests for joining me today on Champions of Growth. Gordon McLean, President and CEO of the ANA Educational Foundation, and Elliot Love, Executive Vice President, Growth and Community at the ANA. Until next time, thanks for listening.